Greetings, Restart Radio listeners. Welcome to our very different gadget show where we talk about the value in electronics we already have. We have a bit of a different intro this week because of a technical issue with the original broadcast version of the radio show. Um, it wasn't due to the snowstorm in, we had here in London, not sure what caused it, but in any case, um, my name is Janet Gunter, and I hosted this show, which was an interview with two artists, Josh Portway and Lisa Autogena. And Lisa is also a professor of cross-disciplinary art at she- Sheffield Hallam University. We interviewed them about their new film on a proposed large mine site in the south of Greenland near a town called Narsak. The mine name... Kwanasuit Kwanafelt is the title of this 29-minute film. Lise and Josh are not filmmakers, but instead artists who specialize in installations. And so this film wasn't intended to be a standalone project. When installed, it's intended to be accompanied by ore from the mine site and more contextual information. The proposed mine will involve the extraction of uranium, but also rare earth minerals, which are used in electronics. New minerals are helping to shrink the size of electronics and make them lighter and smaller, but the downside is they're not very recyclable. Very few of them are recouped in industrial processes used to to process end-of-life electronics, and in the end, rare earth minerals are not that rare, but they're in increasing demand. More and more communities around the world will face similar pressures to make decisions about big mining projects. Um, But this one is quite extraordinary, Um, and the residents of this really small Greenland town, um, fewer than 2,000 of them, appear to be quite divided on the mine. Um, Not only its very existence, but also the pacing of the project and uh, what it will do to the, the town, and issues of autonomy and independence and um, the environment. Partly because I suppose, like you said, that every, th- every industry, everything has to happen on this small piece of land around the edge of the country. Yeah. Um, um, and um, one of the things that struck me in your film, and maybe you can talk us through this a little bit, is um, th- one of your inter- interviewees mentions that people moved down to the town um, in quite recent memory. So is it in the 1960s, I believe? Um, so the town we're seeing is actually, in, in, in historic terms, it's still quite new. Um, it, it's a fairly old town, but it, all of the, you know, the, the, the really tiny towns in Greenland were sort of emptied out in the 60s and 50s. Lisa probably knows more about that by the Danish government in order to try and um, centralise people to make it cheaper to, to supply, you know, education and healthcare and stuff to the country. And, and it's it, a very it, painful mm-hmm. and disruptive process for everyone, I think. Yeah, but and you get the feeling that the town lived a heyday around fishing as well at a certain mm. point. Mm. It had a very big fishing factory that was closed down not that long ago. Um, now it has um, sheep farming, um, what's the English word? Uh, but, uh, butchery. Abattoir. Abattoir, it's called. Okay. Um, it seems to have a sort of second coming, though, in terms of tourism and... Um, and uh, hotel hotels and small businesses opening up, but largely it has um, a lot of buildings that were were 
put up for in, in connection with the fishing industry are standing empty and are being closed down and there was a kind of emptying of, of inhabitants, inhabitants going on and a kind of dying of the town, slow dying. And um, many of your interviewees, uh, the ones who seem more enthusiastic about the prospects of mining, seem to be responding to that economic backdrop, which is, you know, they, I guess they feel that it's, it's, the town, the town feels almost dead to them. And they, in fact, one of the people you interview, I believe he's a, he's a inspiring politician. He seemed very excited about having new new shops, new people come, the prospects that mining would bring. Um, he almost seemed, in a sense, almost, I, I don't want to say bored, but he, he you know, it, he, he felt slightly like that. Um, I think it's not that he's, it's not that they're, I mean, they, it's not that they're bored. It is that along with every, most other kind of tiny rural places, but in a more extreme sense, people, young people tend to move out and want to go to the city. Um, and in Greenland, they either go to Nuuk or go to Denmark. Um, and if they want to get any kind of secondary education, they end up going to the city anyway, and then they kind of stay there. Um, so then there are no jobs and very little to do in, in Narsak. So his kind of take on it is without the mine, the, 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 the town will bleed to death, basically. You know, slowly. There are... I think half as many people there now as there were ten years ago in the town. So, and it does seem that you, you know, you, so you represent, you really do represent both sides in quite a short film. You talk to quite a few people, um, and there seems to be a, a number of people um, who who seem really upset about the prospects of the mine. Um, and I, th I, one of your interviewees says, like everything living will die which I, I feel is a very, you know, it's very dramatic and, uh, you know, halting way of putting it. Um, but what is on what is proposed is um, is a massive open pit mine. Is that correct? Um, on a mountain ov overlooking the town. So. Yeah, more or less. There's a very kind of beautiful mountain about two kilometers outside the town. Um, and they plan it to mine, mine it for about 30 years and then there won't be a mountain there anymore. Um, there'll be a, a big. There's a lake next to the uh, next to the mountain, and they'll fill that lake in with the tailings of you know when they've crushed the ore. Um, but more or less, they'll mine the whole of the top of the mountain off. Um, that's the plan. And it seems as though many of the people you interviewed have seen similar mines. Um, they've been on the internet, or they've yeah. they've researched and seen what happens in these situations. Mm. Is, is that fair? They've had to. Uh, contacts with um, well this mainly being the um, the people who are really concerned about the mine have had contact with um, indigenous populations in the US who have really struggled with uh, uranium mine mining and they've had some visitors from, from those places so they are incredibly alarmed about the kind of legacy of of um, the cleanup of uranium mines and, and in, in the context of this particular place there's extremely strong winds, and the dust from 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 this mine. There's a lot of. This is one of the big concerns: is that it, the town will basically be, and the whole sort of area region, which is a farming region, the only farming region in in, in Greenland, will be covered in this dust and make 
perhaps make living in, in, impossible, but also Greenland's only farming impossible. Yeah, it did. It did seem, at least from someone. I mean, the the landscape is really impressive the way you've presented it, and um, even just even hearing your interviewees describe the mountain, and you have footage of walking up the mountain. It's it's actually, it is even just for someone who doesn't has never been there. The prospect of the mountain being gone, um, and it being filled in with, uh, or the lake next to it being filled in with tailings, seems pretty dramatic indeed. Um, one thing I quite liked about, um, the, uh, about your interviews is you actually, and I think we're going to play a clip from her. Uh, is it, uh, Marianne? When, not, not just yet, but she says at one point, she says, um, in terms of the arguments, uh, with the people for the mine, she says, sometimes they tell us to throw away our mobiles because we're against the mine. And I found that really, um, really interesting because you often hear that, um, or we often hear that when we people tell us that we're kind of against the economy, against capitalism, that we have some nihilist impulse, um, and she's being told the same thing. <laughs> she has a slight misunderstanding about it because she she thinks that the people that say that think that there's uranium in her mobile phone, but actually there is a a lot of the and a lot of the groups of people who are against the mine are primarily kind of focused around the uranium aspect of it which is slightly strange because whatever they were mining for it would be incredibly destructive um but yeah the mine is primarily for rare earth minerals lanthanide minerals that are um used for all sorts of things but you know they are used in electronics um and uh, the, it's difficult, though, because it isn't just about your everyone always says mobile phones, you know, it's in your mobile phones. But they're also one of the primary things they're mining for is neodymium, which are, you know, those little tiny powerful magnets that you find. Um, and there are really if you're going to build a wind turbine, for instance, you need a lot of neodymium for certain types of wind turbines. There are modern, actually, really interesting modern ones which are getting rid of it. But it's um, there are um, it's it, there's a sort of uh, sense that these are kind of um, luxury goods somehow, <laughs> but actually they're used all over the place. You know, rare earth minerals. Yeah, no, and I think. Um if anything, when people tell me that, I, mm. I just say that I that I'd like to to slow our consumption, mm. and that that's my I have no illusions that we mm. we still need these minerals, and I guess that's what makes the film uh, absolutely so powerful. Is it also forces us to confront that. <laughs> I wanted to talk a little bit about. Um, I'm talking with uh, with Lisa Autogena and Josh Portway about their film Kwana Suet Kwana Fiel. It's a short film about a mine, um, a proposed mine in the south of Greenland. And I wanted to talk a little bit about um, how you how you made the film. Um, uh, I found the film the form of the film was actually really really fascinating and really 
uh, satisfying as someone who I've, I've worked on land rights issues before this current uh, this current job or vocation of mine. And one of the things I find that um, that's really hard to convey is people's relationship with a, with the land and the power of the landscape and um, there's just a really deep connection that people can have with land. And one of the things I actually appreciated was the slow, the slowness of some of your speakers, um, the pauses, the quiet, um, even some of the things which maybe could be engineered out, like the wind and seeing the, um, or seeing the, um, seeing the flies they're they're gnats or some kind of gnats huge mosquitoes really horrendous (laughs) mosquitoes yeah i could have done without those Um, i know the shot you're talking about okay i've got photographs of me i've bitten to death from having to stand still while i was being bitten by those things okay well just know that it adds to the real authenticity (laughs) of the film um how did how did so clearly the people that you're speaking to don't necessarily talk as maybe as fast as i do or they're not drinking a lot of coffee but how did you kind of how did you approach the interviews and get this kind of really i think really contemplative um, interviews we we went there to participate in the yearly sheep farmers meeting um, being amazed that we didn't know that there was sheep farming in, in, in Greenland and not many people know that, that Greenland has a tradition of sheep farming in the very south. Um, but of course, um, it was I mean, it was difficult to quite understand what was happening because the people were not necessarily very interested in, um, in speaking to us about the issues that were happening in relation to sheep farming and, and the mine. And it was a very slow process to start having conversations about this. And um, it took us a while, I suppose, to realize that um, people found it quite difficult to talk about, but it it was a really, really deep, deep, deeply, deeply set issue for many people who would get quite emotional. The the way of speaking there is very slow and very sort of, um, it's a very... Um, honest and uh, um, uh, I don't know. It's a very. It's a language that is very emotional and very it comes from the heart very much. So conversations are very um, direct, I suppose. But um, there is an issue. The film is partly about the issue in this town, which is kind of split in two over this issue of of the uranium mining and. Um, the problem is that people cannot really find a way to speak to each other. So the, this disagreement is a taboo, and there is no kind of um, platform for really speaking to each other. There's a huge um, mistrust in government being pro-mining, and that therefore the information people are given is not based on, on true facts. So, so. There is not really a conversation across this divide, and the film is partly about this. I was wondering whether this may be the first time that some people's views would be seen by their neighbors or by fellow members in their community, um, because many of the people did seem to indicate they didn't feel comfortable discussing some of these issues in public. Um, I think it's not so much they're not comfortable discussing it, but I think there's a from what we gathered, there's a kind of taboo against public disagreement, mm. against disagreeing with someone in a public place and, and actually having a debate, an argument, and that the people were saying, you know, that makes it very difficult to to discuss the 
the, the anything I would guess, but this, you know, such a divisive issue. Yeah, I found even the people you might expect to be slightly more, um, in another context, confident of their views and convinced of their views, even they seemed in some way, cons- or in some way, con- I'm not going to say conciliatory, but they seemed to, they, they, they seem to approach it from slightly more emotional and un- understanding point of view than I'm than I might have expected in another context. Um, we have a great clip from uh, Mariana, she's called, um, and and this kind of uh, illustrates, I guess, some of what we were just mentioning. Um, Lisa's going to try to do um, the the voiceover in English here. Um, this is spoken in Danish, correct? Yes. Yeah. She is a helipad controller. And she's very much the kind of voice for the the um, the sort of of the anti-mine movement of this of Nasak. Some people say that it's the path to independence, but we can't become independent by giving a piece of our land to a company from another country. Um, I would really recommend just taking some time. We'll we'll uh, put a link, but if you're looking for it um, on the internet, uh, um, yeah, well, it, it's hard for. I, can, I suppose we could spell out the name, but um, we'll 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 share a link on our on our website. Um, the the filmmakers are Lisa Autogena and Josh Portway. I would definitely recommend watching the whole. Um, the whole film. It's just over 20 minutes, is that correct? 38 minutes. 38 minutes. Oh my goodness. I totally lost track of time. Okay. Um, uh, like I said, I really appreciate the um, the pacing um, because I do think that these that, that there's very little um, time given to some of these issues and I also think that because it's slow you avoid this question this, this kind of uh, maybe it would be kind of potentially false uh, clashing or conflict of views that, you know, as we just said, people people very much avoid that. So I think it's avoided in the film, um, in a very kind of artful way as well. One of the things I wanted to ask about was also in in terms of the way you made the film, was the drone footage. Um, um, <laughs> Stefani is smiling. <laughs> um, the I think drone footage can sometimes be a little bit overdone or a little bit over dramatic and I, I actually liked that uh, you didn't use too much of it um can you tell me about how you decided to use it in the film to be honest we we mostly used the drone for making friends rather than footage we kind of the the farmers that we went to interview um all very much warmed to us when we were able to kind of we sh- could show them kind of overviews of their farm and uh, you know, pictures of their because they'd never, you know, a lot of them had never seen it from that pers- or hadn't got pictures from that perspective of their stuff. So that was kind of a useful thing of the drone. But we we wanted to, yeah, we wanted to avoid um, big sweeping shots of the of the icebergs and glaciers and stuff. Probably a bit too much. Would have been nice to have. Um, I think we could have done with a bit more. <laughs> <laughs> I think partly the the drone was very important tool in in particularly in a place like Greenland where there's no roads. You can only get to places places through um, 
boats and helicopters. <laughs> and so to explore the landscape and being able to access and look at the inland ice sheet, which is the kind of horizon that is kind of inaccessible, but also to get close to um, icebergs which might explode or uh, glaciers. You can only really use drones. The one shot that's very droney in the film is a kind of... Uh, there's two at the end of the film. Um I think we sort of wanted the end of the film to have that kind of more disengaging, like the drone shot sort of disengages from the very... There's a kind of brutal shot at the end of climbing up the hill and it's very wobbly and it's all me holding my hands. And then there's a drone shot where it sort of disengages and flies away. Um, but the one before that, there's a shot of a, of a glacier. Um, and it was... Actually, we we totally decided we were against doing any shots of glaciers and stuff like that because we didn't want to, to sort of, like you say, sort of infect the film with drone feeling. Um, but someone persuaded us to go out one day in his boat, at the, you know, the last day before we left, and persuaded us to go in his boat to see glaciers. We went in his boat and uh, we never got that close to one before and they're very seductive yeah. and it was so beautiful uh that you know we couldn't resist it and i had a kind of perfect moment i sort of had to jump off the boat onto a rock ledge because i couldn't fly the drone from the boat and then they everyone else left on the boat and went a couple of miles away and i had about half an hour flying the drone around a glacier in, in a very it was you know beautifully warm and sunny and uh totally silent and sort of drifting weightless around a glacier on the drone was my perfect moment of the whole time filming i think i was just going to say um a lot of people think of greenland they think of climate change and the challenges mm. that greenland is facing in relation to climate change but i a lot of the people <coughs> probably don't know about basically the rest of what you what you bring in the film about the challenges they have around mining um, and trying to bring in income and remain and, and the challenges of maybe being independent and what that actually means in this um, in this day and age. Um, I think I mean in, from what Josh was talking about the kind of getting this different, whole different view. The, the, the glaciers was this uh, huge experience of scale that you experience in Greenland. You keep thinking you're coming close to the glacier, but it's enormous. So the, the, the confrontation with the scale thing in the landscape was somehow became a little bit, um, uh, I don't know, it seems to have a really important relationship to the film for me because from, for, we were looking at a very local place and the issues there, but in looking at this very local, these local issues, we were trying to really look at it's Greenland's situation today and trying to understand how Greenland sees itself in the future as, a, as an independent state because this huge drive to become independent from Denmark, they're kind of rushing into this ex, ex, kind of extreme rush to get mining mines sold to corporations mm -hmm. that can generate big money for fast independence. Mm -hmm. Maybe people don't un know the history of Denmark and colonisation and Greenland. No. 
Well, it's well, worth, it's worth, worth, <laughs> for you to explain. It's, it's worth looking up. Um, it's worth looking up, but it's also worth stating that, um, that I think that what this film brings up is that independence on paper and the trappings of an independent state don't necessarily mean um, autonomy and well-being for all the people in a country. Yeah. And I think a lot of countries around the world are facing that, especially with the uh, pressure on a lot of different uh, raw materials. And this is what's so powerful about the film and I think useful for users of all kinds of technology um, from wind turbines to, to devices. Thank you, uh, Josh Portway and Lisa Autogena for joining us today. This has been Restart Radio. You can find out more information about our events on the restartproject.org. And we're here every Tuesday at 1.30 p.m. Thanks, and see you next week.